to Matthew chapter 9, verse 27 through 31. When Jesus had parted from there, two blind men followed him, crying out, saying, Son of David, have mercy on me. And when he had come unto the house, the blind man came to him. And Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? And they said unto him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, saying, See that no one knows it. But when they had departed, they departed, they spread the news about him all that country. You see. Well, I'm delighted to be with you today. I'm always very grateful for the presence of everyone. We always enjoy the opportunities that we have to get together as we do today. To sing these beautiful songs, thank you, Brandon, for the songs that you've led us in today and for the fine prayers and for the scripture reading. Thank you, Gene. We're very happy to have Brother Gene with us. Brother Gene Greer, one of our faithful gospel preachers, very well-known gospel preacher, and read the scripture for us this morning. We're very happy to have Gene with us. And for those of you who are visiting, we're always very happy that you've come our way. Today's Mother's Day, according to the calendar. Of course, every day is Mother's Day. But today is Mother's Day, a special time that has been designated with regard to showing our love and respect for our mothers. I know my mother is watching today. She watches every service and every Bible class on the internet, online. And we're very grateful that we have that venue whereby we can talk and share and study and learn and worship together with those over the internet. And I know that she's always there. She never misses. And, and I talk to her every Saturday or Sunday. And she always tells me the mistakes that I made. But at any rate, I'm very happy that she's able to uh, be with us. She's 90. In a few years, she'll be, a few months, she's going to be 91. And I'm grateful that, uh, Mom, I'm grateful for all that you did for me. Thank you. And if your mother's still alive, you go and call her and tell her that as well. And be grateful for the wonderful things Mother has done. I don't know where we'd be without our godly mothers, and we're very thankful for them. Uh, thankful that you are worshiping with us today. And I turn to Matthew chapter 9, 27 through 31. Thank you, Gene, for reading that for us. And it's a pretty interesting passage, though we have read verses like this so much that sometimes it becomes rather commonplace for us because we've seen Jesus do this miracle and we've seen him do that miracle and, and they happen just as they are revealed to us in the pages of the Bible. That's the way it happened, just exactly the way the Bible says it happened. And when Jesus touched these men, why they were able to see. For whatever reason, they were blind. There are other blind men that would come to Jesus and he would react in a different way to heal them and different um, uh, usages, but still on this occasion, he healed these men. They came saying, have mercy on us, thou son of David. When they said that, 
they're conveying the idea that Jesus is the son of David, which is a very messianic way to describe Jesus, the son of David. In fact, uh, we read about that particular matter in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, that he is the son of David, a descendant of David, a descendant of David, not only from his mother's side, the book of Luke recites for us, but also from his stepfather's side, the legal heir to David's throne, Matthew chapter 1. Save us and help us and have mercy on us, thou son of David, help us. And that's a cry that we need to make as well. The vision was the problem. Sometimes people have spiritual vision problems. They have physical problems with their vision. They have spiritual problems with their vision. Old Testament talks about people who had physical problems with their vision. You'll remember Isaac in Genesis chapter 27, how that Isaac was an old man and his vision had grown dim. There was Eli who was blind, one of the judges of Israel, 1 Samuel 4, verse 15. We see how that some men had their eyesight put out in the pages of the Old Testament. For example, it was Samson, Judges 16 and 21 whose eyes were put out by the Philistines. There was the last king of southern Judah, Zedekiah, in Jeremiah chapter 52 and verse 11, how that his eyes were put out by Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. Some people have had physical sight problems in the pages of the Bible. Saul of Tarsus was blinded out on the Damascus road when he said, Lord, who art thou? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest, Acts chapter 9. There was Elamus, you'll remember, the sorcerer, in Acts chapter 13 and verse 11, on the first missionary journey of the Apostle Paul, he struck him blind. Then the Apostle Paul had sight problems as well, evidently, Galatians chapter 6 and the verses, verse 11, and there are times when he says, you see how that in such big letters I write this letter. Um, and many have thought in that particular instance that he's referring perhaps to some problem with his eyesight. Some in the Bible, have had problems with their physical sight. Some in the Bible have had trouble with their spiritual sight. In Matthew chapter 13 and about verse 15, the Bible's talking there, as Jesus quotes from Isaiah, and he's talking about his generation at a time. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not receive. Then he says in verse 15, But the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they would have heard, they would have seen with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart in return, and I would heal them. Well, he's talking about the spiritual blindness of the people of the day, how that they were so hard-hearted and unreceptive to the Word of God, they wouldn't listen to what Jesus had to say. Jesus, the Son of God, it was amazing, isn't it, that Jesus, the actual Son of God, walking among them and teaching inspired lessons and teaching those wonderful parables, performing the miracles which He was able to do, and yet they wouldn't listen to Him. And He quotes this passage from Isaiah. He says, that's what Isaiah was prophesying about. Isaiah was prophesying about people who had spiritual eye problems that simply would not see and listen 
and accept what the teaching of the Word has to say. We can have spiritual eye problems. Now, the miracle which we read about in Matthew chapter 9 was a physical problem. And Jesus miraculously, by the power of God, healed those men. Oh, have mercy on us, thou son of David. Have mercy on us. And Jesus asked, do you believe that I can do it? He said, yes, we believe. And he healed them physically. But I'm not talking about physical eye problems today. I'm, I'm talking about spiritual eye problems. Sometimes we just don't see what we're supposed to see. And sometimes we just don't hear what we're supposed to hear. And it's right in front of us, and we ought to be able to see it. We ought to be able to understand and perceive it, but we don't because we have a type of spiritual eye problem, and I identified four different type of eye problems, and I want to explain them today. And I want to go to Matthew chapter 9 to see how Matthew helps us overcome the spiritual blindness that we have today. Now, I'm told, and I believe it is, that there's, each one of us has a dominant eye. And when I was living out in California, I had the idea, let's go to the shooting range, and I like the guns, and I like to shoot, and sometimes I even hit the target. But at any rate, I like to go out there and do that, and a fellow would say, let's, let's shoot skeet. And I said, okay, yeah, let's go do that. And so I don't think I hit a one. They would fly by, and I'd shoot, and I'd miss and he said, you know what your problem is? I said, no, I don't know what my problem is. He says, you have a dominant eye. You have to shoot with your dominant eye. There's one eye that's stronger than the other. And there's one eye that you use that you focus on things more than others. And you have to find out what your dominant eye is. And evidently, that is the case. When I found out what my dominant eye was, I still wasn't any better at it than what I was to begin with. But the point is this, you know, our eyes can have a dominant eye. And we have a strong eye, and sometimes we can see things, and sometimes we can't. Sometimes that eye will focus on a particular thing where by the other will not. And that's what I want to learn about today. I want to learn about my spiritual sight. I, I want to see what kind of spiritual sight I have, and then I'm going to end up having to say, have mercy on me, thou son of David, because I need God's mercy. I need God's help. I want to open up my spiritual eyes so that I can see what God wants me to see. One of the problems that people have with their eyesight is uh, uh, myopia. Myopia is a nearsightedness. And then there's a hypermyopia type of situation. Uh, hyperopia, I think, is the way it's pronounced. Myopia is the result whereby you see the object, but the near object is clear, but the objects at a distance are somewhat blurry. And there's a reason for that. So they say, I did a little work on this. The cornea is stronger than usual, and light rays fall in front of the retina. And therefore, I see things that are close, but not things that are far away. And then there's also the farsighted situation, the hyperopia, whereby the objects that are near are kind of blurry, and you can see why I have glasses on here 
this morning and where I use these glasses. The eye is not as long <clears throat> as it ought to be. The cornea is not as strong, and light rays fall behind the retina. And I can see things that are, that are at a distance, but the things that are close are blurred. You can have that kind of problem. And I'm understanding from what I read and studied some three million people every year have one or the other of these particular problems. It's a physical eye problem, isn't it? And I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. Farsightedness and nearsightedness and every one of us here has had to face or be involved in that particular matter at one time or another. Sometimes, spiritually speaking, we see more than we really ought to see. We're a little too strong in one area of our aspect in our life than we really ought to be in the matter of spiritual sight. And let me illustrate that by means of Matthew chapter 23. And in verse 4, Jesus is discussing the Pharisees. He's trying to get them to see that you're really not seeing things the way you ought to be seeing things. Why, you try to make a big deal out of nothing. In fact, you actually try to enforce your own will and elevate it to the point of it being the law of God. And you try to make your own opinions and your own views like if it were the law of God and force people to embrace them. I'm reading now from Matthew 23, and the verse that I have in mind is verse 4. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with not, not so much as a finger. And then I thought, well, I'll read in connection with this illustration, verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things that should have done, you should have done without neglecting the others. You know, there are times when they have myopia. They have a nearsighted problem. And then there are times that they have a farsighted problem. They're not looking at things the way they really ought to see them. In Romans chapter 14, I think you have an example of that, that sometimes we try to bind our opinions on things when we really shouldn't. We're, our eyesight is a little stronger in one direction than it ought to be. And in Romans chapter 14, that's the very thing that they had in common there. That was the problem. You see, in the ancient Greek world, meats would be offered to the idols and the pagan deities, and they would take the remains and sell them in the common marketplace. And then here, somebody goes shopping in the Agora, which was the marketplace, and they would buy meat for the family and food for the family, and then they would go and cook the food, and a Christian friend comes over for dinner one night, and he says, now that meat's been offered to idols. I can't eat that. I'm a Christian. I used to be a pagan, but now I'm a Christian, and I can't eat that meat that's been offered to idols. Now, Paul deals with this in the book of 1 Corinthians. He also deals with it in a matter of Romans chapter 14. He said, now there's, there's nothing in the meat. It's neither good nor, nor bad. And we know that there's nothing in an idol because it's not really true. It's not a real thing. It's just the figment of somebody's imagination. And what you're doing is you're dividing the church over this matter of opinion. It's all right to eat meat if you want to. It's all right not to eat meat if you don't want to eat if you just want to eat vegetables, that's okay too. It is a matter of opinion. Let us not bind our matters of opinion upon one another. You see, we're a little nearsighted at times and sometimes a little farsighted because we're looking too hard at particular matters and we're trying to say, that can't be 
because that's my opinion and I've accepted that as opinion and therefore I'm trying to bind it on others. Let us not do that. We need to open up our eyes so that we don't have myopia. We don't have this nearsighted, farsighted problem with regard to matters of the church and matters of brethren. And he's trying to help them see that. He says, now don't look down upon this man who doesn't need, who doesn't seem to eat, who eats meat, doesn't seem to have any problem with that. There's not. And don't judge this particular person who doesn't eat meat. Don't judge him. It doesn't matter whether you eat meat or not. There's nothing in it. Let's not elevate our opinions to the point whereby we're judging others and condemning others. I have seen this in time past in other areas as well. Sometimes, sometimes brethren will come up to me and say, what Bible translation did you read out of? I said, well, I happened to read out of the English Standard Version today. Or I might have read out of the New American Standard Bible today. And they said, we want the King James Version and the King James Version only read. And I don't argue with people about that. If they insist on having the King James Version, King James Version only read, then I don't argue with that. I'll read the King James Version. Because there is no Bible passage that says, you must read one and only one Bible translation. It is a matter of opinion. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to endorse some bad translation of the Bible. I'm pretty much against that kind of thing. I'm pretty hard against that. In fact, when I'm serious about studying the Bible, I don't read a translation. The point that I'm making is that we can have good translations, we can have bad translations. We have good translations that we can read and study. Let us not be to the point where we have such spiritual myopia that we say, you've got to read out of my Bible translation. We don't want to do that. You know, I was raised on the King James Version of the Bible. I'm not saying a word against it, really. I love it. And I tell you the problem I have. I have memorized passages out of the King James Version of the Bible, and then when I read another one, I automatically start quoting the King James Version of the Bible when I'm supposed to be reading this other translation. That's how much influence it has and has had on my life. But I can't say it's the one and only translation that you should read. Once again, I'm insisting. I'm not going to endorse a bad translation. If that passage in the original Greek or the original Hebrew is ambiguous, it ought to come out into English ambiguous. We should not try to engineer and rewrite and rework the Scripture. Let us translate the Scripture faithfully and then work at understanding what God says with regard to the matter. But I can't say you're not a faithful Christian because you don't use the King James Version of the Bible. I love the King James Version of the Bible. But I'm not going to have spiritual myopia and try to say, you've got to see that my way. It's like a Romans chapter 14 thing. In Romans chapter 16, he says, Mark them that have divisions among you. I, I don't want to cause divisions in the body of Christ. I want to heal the body of Christ, and I want to promote the body of Christ, and I want to build up the body of Christ based on God's Word. 
And if we have a problem, let's repent of that problem and get over it and start doing it the way God tells us to do it. And let's look at it the way God wants us to look at it. Romans chapter 16 and verse 17. Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned, and turn away from them. Now you can read that from the pages of your own Bible. It comes from Romans chapter 16 and the verse as verse 17. We can have a spiritual myopia here and cause problems when there, do not, when there does not need to be a problem. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, though, you can have a problem seeing things when there was a real problem. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, you had a situation there where a man was living in an immoral situation. And Paul says, you all have been puffed up about this. You ought to have done something about this. You see, they had a type of spiritual myopia there where they could not see the problem when it was right in front of them. And Paul was saying, you need to correct that problem. Let me explain what I'm talking about. It came from 1 Corinthians chapter 5 in the verses, verse 1. For we know that if, uh, that's 2 Corinthians, and the passage I have in mind is 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Now I'm at it. It is actually reported that there is immorality among you, an immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles that someone has his father's wife. You have become arrogant and have not mourned instead so that one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. Verse 2. This was right in front of them and they didn't see it. They had spiritual myopia. They could not see the problem. And he said, why, even the Gentiles don't do things like this. And you're filled with arrogance over this particular matter. Now, I don't know how they could feel that way. Maybe they thought, well, we're very open-minded here and and we're very open-minded to this situation the person has. And we love them and, and we're concerned about them. And so they just didn't deal with the spiritual sin that was in their midst. And Paul said, you should have done something about this. They were spiritually blind and couldn't see what was going on. And you can't be pleasing in the sight of God when you have spiritual myopia. You can't see what's going on far off, and you can't see what's going on right under your nose. He said in verse 7, clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump just as you are, in fact, unleavened. For Christ, our Passover, also has been sacrificed. Don't have anything to do with these particular people. Solve this problem. And sometimes people just close their eyes to a problem, and they have spiritual myopia, and they, and they won't see it. And the Bible is saying, you've got to see it, you've got to deal with it, and you've got to deal with it God's way. To be pleasing in the sight of God. Don't have spiritual blindness. And if we really look at it and look at it like we ought to, we might be coming out like these men who said, Have mercy on us, thou son of David. Have mercy on us. There's another kind of eye problem that we can have that I wanted to study with you today. And... Um, Presbyopia, I hope I'm saying that properly. Presbyopia, you doctors out there know all about this. I don't. I had to look these matters up. But I saw a connection between presbyopia and the spiritual problems that we sometimes face. Now, this is the long arm disease. This is where you're trying to go like this and trying to adjust the text so that you can read it and you have to get back here and that kind of thing. 
And this is what happens when the eye becomes less flexible and gets harder. And every one of us are going to face that, whether we like it or not. The vision of things up close uh, becomes a little blurry and is, and is hard for us to see in that particular matter. And we can't see it the way we really should. And I saw, I think, this problem in Luke chapter 6. And I turn to Luke chapter 6. The verses I have in mind, verse 36 through 38. And really, Jesus is confronting the people of his day and saying, you're too harsh in your judgment. You're way too harsh on these particular matters. Notice what he said in Luke 6, 36. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. And do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. Now, you and I have studied that a number of times. You'll find that terminology again, Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, which is a part of the Lord's Sermon on the Mount. And generally, that's where we'll go to to study this particular matter. People have so misunderstood this teaching of the Lord. Do not judge, he says in Matthew 7 and 1, to, so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And be your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. His point in this particular passage is the idea that don't be putting up with sins in your own life and then condemning that same sin in somebody else's life. We have to make a righteous judgment, the Bible said, John chapter 7 and 24. Make a righteous judgment. We can look at the behavior and the lives of people, and we can see what is right and what is wrong, often by the way they behave and by the way they live and by the way they act. But let us not, in a superficial way, judge other people where we should not be judging them. And that's his point in Luke 6 and Matthew chapter 7. A harsh, spiritually-minded judgmental type of attitude that we really should not have. Now, there are times when we have to make a righteous judgment. I emphasize that once again. He's not talking about making against all judgment. Why well, he just told us in Romans chapter 16, verse 17, that we're going to have to mark those that cause division among us. And so, obviously, we're going to have to look and see and make a righteous judgment. But the judgment that he's talking about, and the judging he's talking about in Matthew chapter 7, Luke chapter 6, is a harsh, unkind, bitter type of judgment whereby I'm condemning you and I'm doing the same thing. And that's the point that he's talking about. And we shouldn't have that kind of judgment. We should be the kind of people who truly do love one another. And you and I love to read and study and come to understand 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and what it means to love one another and be concerned about one another. And the Bible talks about so much about being kind one to another. And it may be that we need to really go back and look at the importance of this kindness toward each other that the Bible speaks. In Ephesians chapter 4, why he talks about the matter in verse 32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. And I can have a type of spiritual blindness whereby all I see are the faults of other people. 
and then I judged them in a very harsh and cruel type of manner. And that's not in keeping with what it means to be a New Testament Christian. Make a righteous judgment against error? Absolutely. Make a righteous judgment against sin? That's what Paul's saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You've got to make that judgment. Can't get around it. There's no alternative to it. But at the same time, I don't have a harsh, unkind, cruel type of attitude toward the other, whereby all I see is the other person's mistakes. Now, if there are mistakes that need to be made or mistakes that are out there, then let's point them out and let's correct them and let's help them and let's be of the kind of disposition and consideration where we are kind about it and we're doing it because we love the other person and we want to be a benefit to them. Now, here's an eye problem everyone is going to face. 100% this happens. They call it cataracts. Now, if you live long enough, you're going to have problems with cataracts. That's what they say. As we continue to age, the lens builds up fibers on top of the retina. And it continues to build fiber on top of fiber to the point where now I can't see clearly. Now I'm not able to distinguish colors as clearly as we once did. Colors are not as bright. There is a surgical procedure which seems to be very successful with regard to dealing with the matter of cataracts and the lenses and that kind of thing. My mother had both cataracts removed and we were very happy and very pleased with the way that that turned out. It's going to happen because over time fibers begin to build up on the lens and on the uh, retina there and, and there the retina cannot experience or see the light as it comes through or is filtered through all those fibers. And I'm thankful that I live in a time whereby that can be remedied medically, surgically. But we can be that way with cataracts religiously. We see everything through our past experiences. We see everything through our opinion. We see everything through tradition if we're not careful, because that has built up and built up on the lens of our spiritual eyes, and that's all we can see. When in reality, what we need to do is be going back to the Word of God and see what the Word of God actually says about the matter, so that we do not try to build these particular matters up in our own mind and say, well, it's got to be that way because it's always been done that particular way, or this can't be done because it's never been done that particular way. Let us not decide matters based on cataract type of vision. Matthew chapter 15, verse 3. Again, I think the Pharisees are the best example of this particular matter. And he answered and said to them, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father and mother is to be put to death. Why do you elevate your tradition to the level of the Word of God? You can't do it and not be pleasing in the sight of God. Some people try to do that. They try to elevate their traditions. They try to elevate their traditions and the way they do things and the way they say things and put it up on the same level as the Word of God. But that's not pleasing in the sight of God to do that particular matter. It was offensive 
to the Pharisees what Jesus was saying. You're not following along with our traditions. You're not doing. Why do your disciples not wash their hands? They're not following along with our tradition. If we're not careful, we'll become tradition-bound and tradition-oriented. And our spiritual sight can be squelched if we do not go to the Word of God and continue to look at it objectively and honestly and ask the question, what does God's Word say? The issue is not what we have done. It is not what others are doing. I hear that one a lot. It is what God's Word says. That's the issue. What does the Word of God say? It is not a matter of what everybody else is doing, what everybody else is doing that is popular, what everybody else is doing and that I like it. It is not that matter. The matter, the real issue, the bottom line is what does the Word of God say? To look at the Word of God and reason about it properly, understand it properly, and then apply it. That's a lot of work that does, that goes into that, and that needs to be done. It's not a matter of, well, this is the way we used to do it. This is our tradition. Denominational churches are steeped in tradition. Religious people are steeped in their tradition. Let us not be tradition-bound. Let us be bound by what the Word of God says. On one occasion, a man came to Jesus asking a question, what is the greatest commandment? I'll read it from Mark chapter 12. And this particular scribe in verse 28, one of the scribes came and heard them arguing and recognizing that he'd answered them well, asked Jesus, what commandment is the foremost of all? And Jesus answered, the foremost is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. Did you notice how many times he used the word all there? He used the word all four times. Love God with all your heart. That speaks to the emotion of the individual. Give it everything you've got with regard to your love for God. With all your soul. That speaks to the matter of the essence of life. That's what we are. We're a soul created by God. Love God with all your mind. Give it all the comprehension that you can because there's so much here that needs to be studied and so much here to be learned. And let's love God in that regard and love God with all your strength. And basically he's saying there, put every effort you got into it to love God with all you got. Give it everything you got. This is the first and foremost commandment. And the second is likened to it. Love your neighbors yourself. I'm not going to be bound by tradition. I'm bound by the Word of God. There are certain ways we do things. I'm not talking about whether we should have two songs of prayer and another song. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about matters of life and truth and doctrine and eternity. And I'm not going to be bound by anybody's tradition. I'm bound by the Word of God. I don't want to have this cataract problem whereby I make decisions based on what other people do and how they traditionally see things. There's a fourth issue here, and I, I probably could learn more about that, but this is as far as I could carry the matter in my limited training. And 
you know, you're going to recognize this eye problem too. It's a physical problem. It's called glaucoma. Glaucoma. And glaucoma is a real problem. It is pressure that builds up in the eye. And it restricts the blood flow to the retina. And an individual who develops glaucoma develops a type of tunnel vision. They can't see in a peripheral type of way. One writer put it this way, the secret thief of sight is glaucoma. And therefore, it behooves all of us to check and go to medical facilities and those who are well-trained in this area, and I'm not, and they're well-trained in that area. And they're able to measure the pressure that comes up on the eye. But if we're not careful, spiritually speaking, we can develop spiritual glaucoma, pressure. And you know where the pressure comes from? Peer pressure. The pressure comes from the friends. The pressure comes from the neighborhood. The pressure comes from the community. The pressure comes from the state. The pressure comes from the nation. All kinds of pressure being applied to the Christian and the individual to live this sort of way, think that way, dress that way, have that kind of aspect about your life where you live like the world lives rather than the way God has told us to live. Oh, we can have spiritual glaucoma if we're not careful. And I'm fearful that the church of the Lord is facing a good dose of spiritual glaucoma and something needs to be done by that. We do not allow the world to tell us what to believe. We do not allow the state of Texas to tell us what to believe. We do not allow the United States of America, no matter how august the great uh, assemblies are and the government is, as to what to believe. This Bible tells me what to believe. And no elected official tells me what to believe. Because I'm not going to suffer from spiritual glaucoma. Peer pressure is not going to tell me what kind of man I ought to be. The community is not going to tell you, should not tell you, what kind of woman you ought to be. What kind of wife, what kind of mother you ought to be. Don't allow the community to tell you how to live your life. You let the Word of God tell you how to live your life. We're in such an affluent society and we have such a free society that, of course, we tend to accept and embrace a lot of what the society wants us to be like, and we have to ever be on guard. You see, the children of Israel went into the land of Canaan, but it wasn't long before the land of Canaan went into the children of Israel. They now were acting like the people of Canaan. They were worshiping the gods of Canaan. They were following their worship. They were the kind of people that the Canaanites were. And God told them, don't be like the Canaanites and the Amorites and the Hevites and the Perjacites. Don't be like those people. You're to wipe them out. And they failed in that responsibility. And for that reason now, it comes back to haunt them because they allowed spiritual glaucoma to come up into their lives and they allowed the people of Canaan to influence them. And the history of Israel is a history of the children of Israel, God's chosen people, following the ways of the Gentiles, the ways of the pagan, and falling away from God. We cannot allow that to happen. And if we're not careful, we'll suffer from spiritual glaucoma. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, the Bible makes it very clear. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, 
to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. And do not be, verse 2, conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what is the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not allow the world to tell you how to live. Do not allow the world to tell you how to dress. Do not allow the world to tell you how to talk. Do not allow the world to tell you what is good and what is bad. The Bible will tell us what is good and what is bad. There is a type of spiritual glaucoma that builds up pressure in our spiritual eyes and causes us to think like others think. And if we're not careful, we find ourselves like these blind men of Matthew chapter 9. Have mercy on us, thou son of David. Forgive us of our shortcomings. Forgive us of our blindness. These particular men were physically blind, but our problem is a spiritual blindness. And may we ever go before God our Father through Jesus Christ and say, Lord, forgive me for being spiritually blind. Let me open up my eyes and see the truth of the Word of God and the error of my own life. And let me evaluate my life in comparison with the will of God and the Word of God. And I will end up coming out saying, Have mercy on me, O thou son of David. I need forgiveness. I've been blind. I've been spiritually blind, and I haven't seen it the way you want me to see it. I've allowed the pressure of the society to tell me what to do and what not to do. Why, I've had spiritual myopia where I've looked in the wrong way and seen the wrong things. Help me see it as I ought to see it. Forgive me of this and let me go to the Word of God and learn it and apply it and repent of my sins and confess my faith in Jesus Christ. And be baptized into Christ for the remission of sins. All of which the Bible teaches and urges upon us. For every man, woman, boy and girl of accountability. To obey the gospel. And if you've been unfaithful then let's do something about that today. Let's get these spiritual blindness problems out of our life. And see the word of God like it really is and apply it to our lives like we really should. And let's do it right now. Won't you come? While together we stand and while we sing.